I got an ulcer just under my tongue as well. It's fucking killing me. Oh, I remember from 10 minutes ago when you asked off. <laughs> <laughs> Before you started eating salt and vinegar crisps. <laughs> 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 Hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. This week, Where Eagles Dare. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And just like Where Eagles Dare, we too have a broadsword. <laughs> Look at that, guys. An erection joke straight out the gate. Fucking hell, it's man. all down here from Hill, folks. It's all down here. What? <laughs> it's all down here from Hill. Let's just move on. <laughs> it's that as well. Uh, so if you've never heard this show before, then hold on to your ski lift because we're about to rock it, stab you in the arm, and then throw you off. <laughs> Essentially, we take a film and we put it on trial. It's as simple as that. There's also a whole host of other hilarious shenanigans to keep you entertained, including a caption contest, a quiz, some questionable impressions, some subpar xylophone playing, some silly sound effects, and a whole lot of banter. So this film, this week's film on trial, as I said before, is Where Eagles Dare. <laughs> is that an eagle? <laughs> is that a baby eagle? There must be a better eagle. <laughs> Can budgies go that high? That, that is an eagle, right? Like I've downloaded not, an animal not. sound. It's not an eagle. <laughs> I'm sure you did download it, but it's not an eagle. Right, okay, well, <laughs> what, what about this one? Um, okay, so this week, uh, where eagles there? Uh, not, uh, not by a long shot. No, no. <laughs> this is every bird except an eagle. <laughs> no. Doesn't <laughs> matter. Right. Anyway. Just to say that this will be a very, very spoilerific episode. So if you haven't seen the film yet, I think it's been out for about 50 years now. So really, come on, sort out, guys. You can either listen to this show after you've watched it or just trust our judgments. Alternatively, you can fast forward to this quiz this week. It's brought to you by me, which we'll highlight in the comments section below. So before we go on, our last film on trial was Elita Battle Angel. <laughs> I, I, I got pa- I panicked. I'm sorry, guys. I panicked. Anyway, um, so I judged that trial and decided that it should be placed on the shit list. I have since watched the film this weekend. I yes, I actually have. Did I make the right call? It's a difficult one to be honest. Uh, it was very, very down the middle for me. I thought the action was pretty decent, and although the CGI fest really did annoy me, it didn't annoy me as much as I thought it would. It wasn't like kind of Ready Player One, where it was just kind of like forced at mm, too me too much. Um, the romance storyline was was very meh. I was just like, oh, I'm not really asked. And as as Alex said, um, the storyline with um, well, the, the characters, Marshall Ali, uh, Jennifer Connelly, there's so many massively uh, really good actors and actresses just really underutilized. But I'd say it probably just about crept in the, the hit list to me. You know? Really? Yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I mean, like... It wasn't good, but I didn't mind it. I think it's at the very, very scrape of the did bottom it, of the barrel. It, I think did that's a similar boat to where I am. Yeah. Honest, yeah. Did it not annoy you the way it set itself up for a franchise that no one has asked for yet? Oh, well, I mean, that, that's what every film's doing these days, isn't it? No, I mean, because um, it's the same thing with Solo. That, you know, we went to go and see Solo, and it was like, oh, by the way, guys, sequel. You yeah. know? <laughs> I think it's just what every every film's doing. Oh, well, I know. Maybe next time. Anyway, so before we move on to the bulk of the show, I think it's time for a little bit of news. Hang on. (laughs) 
Nope, nothing. That rings a bell. That rings a bell. Oh, oh, Danny boy. (laughs) Danny boy. (laughs) Good one. That's nice. I like that. I like that. It was either that or a song by the Eagles, but I thought that would be too obvious. (laughs) Anyway, right. So here what we do is we talk about the most newsworthy topics of the week. And uh, first up, uh, I think, I'm sorry to say, once again, it's a very, very sad occasion. And it's time for another one of Dave's weekly obituaries. They're not my weekly obituaries. They seem to be at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> they are at the moment. Yeah. The last few weeks. I know it's morbid, but I actually really enjoy this part of the show. <laughs> enjoying it, them more than I can. That's not great theme music I have. <laughs> is it because it's improving your knowledge of recently deceased actors? So you can go and increase your, you know, your, your knowledge. My, of my general films. knowledge, yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so Dave, I'm sorry, once again. Yeah, with regret, we have lost Bruno Ganz, a fantastic actor from uh, German cinema. He was actually Swiss, for the record, but uh, well-known for being in many German-language films. He broke into... Um, English language speakers as well. He was in The Boys from Brazil, if you remember that. He was in The Reader as well. But uh, the role he's probably most famous for is playing Hitler, of all people, in Downfall, which was, if anyone has seen it, a fantastic mm. performance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I did not know that was him. There that's you him. Like, that's that's you your man. That's My Bruno knowledge Gans. has been enlightened. Yeah, so and despite the fact like... he was in German cinema, he was, yeah, Swiss. Yeah. Lest we forget, a lot of people have been calling him German actor Bruno Gans. I saw mm. apparently in German cinema, they give, they've got like a ring for the best actor or actress of the German cinema language, if that makes sense. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And so they, like, bequeath it to the next person. So he was a... He held a ring, and then he passes it on to the next... Oh, nice. ...best German actor. Uh, when, how, when do you pass it over, is it? Like, I don't know. Do you have to kill the current holder of the ring? <laughs> <laughs> that's, where, that's how he got it. <laughs> okay, so it. thank you very much for that, Dave. Moving swiftly on. Um, another big name has been added to the already stellar cast list of Dennis Villeneuve's remake of June. And Alex, you're very excited about this, aren't you? Uh, I am. Uh, I'm less excited about the headline, which was that Jason Momoa is joining, which is, you know, great. I, I didn't actually see Aquaman, but that doesn't get me interested. It's more, it just seems like everyone, Oscar Isaac's going to be in this film, Stellan Skarsgård's in it, Dave Bautista's going to be in it as well. The big one for me, because I don't know if you've read the book, but June is based on a book by um, someone, Frank Herbert. And it's a pretty good book, pretty good sci-fi, like bit of a cool classic sci-fi film. And Timothy, uh, Timothy Chalamet is going to be playing Paul in it. And I think he's perfect. I don't, did any oh, yeah. of you see Call Me By Your Name? Yes. Mm. Yes, I did. Like, that was an incredible film, I thought. And like his performance in it was incredible. So I think that's going to be very, very... It's just such a strong cast. It's got Javier Bardem in it as well. Zendaya's in there. Josh Brolin's going to be in it as well. So great cast. this is a stellar cast. And I think... Because I've, I've seen bits of the old June... <laughs> Yeah, and it didn't <laughs> it didn't quite do the source material justice. So normally I'm not up for a remake, but I think in this case it's probably it's time to do it right. I think, and they've so, definitely got the acting talent to do it. Do you reckon this is going to be centered more around awards season, or do you reckon it's going to be more of a blockbuster Hollywood I summer release? I Think it's going to be more blockbuster Hollywood. I don't think it's going to be awards mm. myself, but it's definitely going to be with all these names. It's definitely be big blockbuster. Mm. Definitely. Well, it sounds great. Anyway, thank you very much for that, Alex. Uh, so uh, moving on, it was confirmed last week that Lee Wannell, director of Upgrade and co-writer of Saw and Insidious, will be taking over the directing reins of the proposed Escape from New York remake. Joel, how do you feel about this one? Um, well, you're the super fan. How do you feel about it? Oh, I can see that you're too busy watching the football. <laughs> I was just in, like, a, oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm actually not... I, 
I've heard conflicting reports about it, to be honest. I have um, heard a few times that the remake may actually be a prequel. Um, and I've really? also heard um, that the director hasn't been finalised. But I don't know. I think I think there's a few things that have been going around. But, you know, like I say, I'm not as big a fan as the original as you are, so... Are you admiring my now framed photo of Escape from New York? Yeah, I you noticed gave to me that you framed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Did you do that on purpose? <laughs> framed just for this piece of news? Or? No, no, because I bought a frame the other day, so I put it in it, and, uh, you know, it's it's just a happy coincidence. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. This is, this is what you call a segue. <laughs> <laughs> it's a visual, a visual, visual segue. segue. Yeah. It went um, really well on an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I'm uh, yeah, I'm I'm a bit on the fence. I really like Lee Wannell. I think he's a fantastic writer. Um, I've you know liked his and James Wan's collaborations. Um, Saw Dead Silence, um, Insidious. I really enjoyed his directorial debut, which was Upgrade, which was last year or the year before. It was essentially like a um, R-rated sort of take on on RoboCop, essentially. I, and he's just been kind of given the green light to direct a sort of R-rated version of The Invisible Man, which I'm quite looking forward to. Apparently, Bloomhouse has bought the rights for all of the Universal Monster films. So they're doing it in a sort of like... Again. Yeah. No, but this is going to be more of a sort of like a horror. So it's going to be... I think but they auctioned them off for like 99p or something. <laughs> but I, th- I, think, I think they were probably... They had to pay Bloomhouse to take them off them. <laughs> but when it comes to um, Escape from New York, so Alex, what were you going to say? Well, just, you, so you're a big fan. Yeah. Have you ever had that question like, oh, what happened before Escape from New York? I'd really like to know the backstory. Oh, Is I... this answering a question you want answered? Not necessarily. I think it's like the sort of sci-fi dystopian films. I don't think a lot of the time you need to f- find out what happens to cause the event. Um, so, for example, Blade Runner. I mean, if, if you read the book, you, you know, but if you watch the film, then you don't really need to, to know all about the war that caused, um, you know, how, which resulted in what the aesthetics of Blade Runner looks like. I actually think you lose something if you do yeah, know definitely. that backstory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a bit of mystique. Uh, you know, I think that's where Prometheus, for me, and Alien Covenant has suffered massively because Alien was such a fantastic film. And when it started, it was like, okay, wow, this is, this is incredible. You're kind of immersed in this mythos, you know, this, this sort of, this world that's been created for you. And then when you sort of bring Prometheus or Alien Covenant along well, and try and dot the... When dot, you try and explain the mystery, sometimes the mystery is actually better left unsolved. Exactly, yeah. Left I mean, solo the as first well, right? time yeah. in, in Alien, when you saw that giant, the, the creator on the, um, what was it called, the... Um, space ca- what was his oh. name space cowboy or something he was on like a big gun first time you see him you're just like oh my god that's amazing you know like, and there's that mystery of what what is it what why is he there you know why yeah. is he so big and then you watch the reality that is prometheus and you're like oh, i actually. never wondered why he was so big <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I, I think maybe you might get the same thing with escape from new york i think it's a fantastic film that should be left as it is i mean th- this has been circulating for so many years i think um What's his name? James Purefoy. Oh, no, sorry. Thomas Jane was attached to be Snake Plissken for about five years. That didn't happen. And I just think it's one of those things that you should probably just leave it alone. You'd have Kurt back playing him, wouldn't you? I would. I would have Damn another right. sequel. Maybe a bit better than Escape from L.A., which was, let's face it, a bit cheap. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful anyway. I've got confidence in Lee Wan also. We'll see what happens. So, um, anyway, yeah, thank you very much for all that, guys. Uh, moving on to Alex's... Film feels. 
<laughs> Thank you very much, Cal. <laughs> so uh, this film, it's got Richard Burton in it, which is a bit surprising, really, considered in the film. I think everyone must have been surprised at the time. Mm-hmm. But very famous man, especially for his hell-raising on set. So who's your favourite sort of classic, old, old-school theatrical hell-raiser? Dave. Uh, probably Peter O'Toole. Interesting. I'd probably go with him. There's wow. some great stories about him. I think you judge a good Hellraiser <clears throat> based on how many interesting anecdotes other people have yeah. about them. Like one person said, you know, they went on a night out with uh, Peter O'Toole. He was in a he was in a play on the West End. Took them out on a night out. They went to go see. Um, went to a few bars and what have you, and they went to go see a play. And Peter O'Toole was sat down next to the guy as the play started, and he said, "This is a great bit. This is where I come in." And I. Oh shit! <laughs> and Peter O'Toole had taken him to see the play. He was meant to be in that very night, and the understood he had to come on instead. Oh my god! <laughs> How do you drink so much you forget that you're in that play, and then How, go to that play, and then go to it? <laughs> How do you, you, you keep getting work? I know. The Peter O'Toole, he always yeah, did yeah, these yeah. people. Yeah, I, t- I, I read something with Peter O'Toole where he said he didn't uh, find out that Kennedy had been assassinated until 1985. <laughs> 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 Uh, so yeah, that, there you go, Peter O'Toole, my favourite <laughs> While you've been uh, discussing that, I've just googled famous alcohol abusers, and <laughs> <laughs> much the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I phrased it thing. differently. That's all I say. There's one bad boy on this list that I think we're all thinking of, and that's Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> 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 the last of the, uh, of the, the last of the <laughs> old school. Old school. <laughs> uh, well, like, closely linked to Daniel Radcliffe. My favourite one is uh, Richard Harris. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's some once again, as Dave said, some classic stories about Richard Harris. The one I particularly like is that he saw somebody showed him this photograph of him stood next to a Rolls Royce, like he, like he owns it, and he started thinking to himself, "I've never owned a Rolls Royce, have I?" So he started ringing around friends, acquaintances, ex wives, ex girlfriends, saying, "Did I ever own a Rolls Royce?" Couldn't get an answer from any of them. Anyway, he finally spoke to his old accountant. I said, did I ever own a Rolls Royce? He said, yes, you did. And it's been sitting in storage in New York somewhere and it's accrued £92,000 of storage these. You forget you've got yeah. a Rolls Royce. <laughs> you forget you've got it, you've passed it somewhere. Oh my word. That's pretty impressive. Alex, what about you? Um, I'd, I'd have a, it's, it's tough between Oliver Reed and Marlon Brando. Um, my heart wants to go with Oliver Reed, to be honest, mainly because I don't have a funny story off the top of my head, but if you've ever, if you've got YouTube, uh, check out Oliver Reed in his Santa outfit Aww. and just watch that. He's, he's, it's just one of the best videos ever. I'll, the premise is he's getting his hair cut. <laughs> and this is the interview, I think, that the interviewer is a barber who's cutting his hair. And Oliver Reed's just smashed, oh, like dressed as Santa. And I'm not joking, it's one of the funniest like, videos <laughs> on YouTube. We've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> I find the stories are quite fun, but then when you actually see the visual, you see the video of it, it's actually quite sad, but the, uh, right, the okay, stories but, are good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for that, Alex. Oh, baby. Mm, make, make it a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on to the bulk of the show. This week's film, as mentioned before, is Where Eagles Dare. Hang on, hang on. I'm going to find a better one. A better eagle. It's a jet. Well, the parachute was oh, sorry. On, I thought you were still going for eagle. No, no, I gave up on the eagle. <laughs> Weirdly more appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, 
And it's been chosen by our very own Captain Dave. Dave, would you just like to give a very brief reason as to why you chose this film? Uh, basically, I wanted the four of you to sit down and watch it, really. To be honest with you. <laughs> now, this is a film I have, I have loved. I saw this when I was a kid. I must have been about seven or eight, maybe, when I first saw this. And I just loved it instantly. It's one of the best action-adventure films I think I've ever seen, even though it may be one of the oldest. And it is just, it's a very... I'll go into it more detail in the actual podcast, but it's it's very entertaining film. It's good, like I said last week, good Sunday afternoon fare. Okay, well, you say that. I put it on on Sunday afternoon. It didn't end until Monday morning. It was that long. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so as Dave picked the film, he will be acting as defense, and we'll try to get the film placed on their hit list. Dave is a bit like Clint Eastwood's character, Schaefer. There isn't a question he can't answer with his fists. <laughs> However... <Answer> Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All of the other roles have been picked at random. So in the role of prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is Joel. Joel is also a little like Schaefer in that he doesn't say a lot and he loves a good explosion. (laughs) (laughs) Now, just like real court advocates, Dave and Joel will be making the best case of their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, however. So do stay tuned till the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. Now, in the roles of character witnesses and lending their genuine opinions to each argument are myself and Alex. Alex and I are just like Heidi the barmaid. The barmaid. Our role in this is completely pointless. <laughs> <laughs> Which means this week, Ozzy has the most important role and he will be playing the judge. Ozzy is just like Richard Burton. He may look like a professional, but most of the real work is done by his colleagues and what little he does do is heavily edited. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Ozzy must decide which list the film should be placed on, the hit or the shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. So, Dave and Joel, the good news is that Ozzy won't have seen the film because he's only seen about 12 films, so he won't have an opinion on it already, but the bad news is is that he's a wild card, and even if he agrees with everything that you say, he may put it on the opposite (laughs) list for that. This this is why I'm fearful. (laughs) So, before we get started, I think we should give the listeners a better idea as to what the film is about and spin the wheel of impressions... So here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. And this week, it's appropriately landed on Dave. So what do you reckon, guys? I think it's one of two, isn't it? Yeah, it's got to be Clint, hasn't it? It's got to be Clint, but I'd quite like to hear the Richard Burton. I quite want to hear Richard Burton as well. Ozzy, sound vote. Um, Can you do half as bad? (laughs) (laughs) A great compromise. Such a diplomat, Ozzy. Okay, it's half Burton, half Clint. Yeah, yeah so, so like the, so first, the first sentence. And, and, and can you just switch like seamlessly so we <laughs> yeah. don't know? Um, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll try. I'll do my best. Okay, so this is. Get that. Make bear Sorry, we got a cat trying the to. Cat is trying snacks. to steal flapjacks. All right. There we go. Previously, I tried to edit that out, but now I just think that these, <laughs> all of these visual uh, <laughs> activities that are going on. I'd say I put them safely high up, but as we know from where Eagles there, just because something's high up doesn't mean it's inaccessible. <laughs> okay, so uh, half Burton, half Flourish already. Okay. <laughs> Allied agents stage a daring raid on a castle where Nazis are holding an American general prisoner. But that's not all that's really going on. Dave. <laughs> Dave. <laughs> Is it just me and my trousers are my <laughs> Amazing, Dave. Well that's done, well great. done. So, uh, thank you very much for that, Dave. A little out of the blue, that one. <laughs> So without further hesitation, Austin, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Yeah, I'd love to, guys. Um, so, as I usually do, I would prefer to hear a prosecution to start with, actually. So I'd like to hear all the reasons why this is a shit. Well, Joel, go for it. Okay, so 
this film is, um, you know, it's considered a bit of a classic, but I think more and more these days, a lot of people are kind of coming back to these classics and, and questioning, you know, if, if they deserve that status and if the film's really that good. Um, and for its time, the film does have some good action, uh, but we've come to expect a lot more. You know, you need some good solid plot and it needs to be backed up with meaningful dialogue as well. And nothing new is done in this film at all. And to say it had all been done before, uh, you know, when the year this film was released, it, it's really something to say. Uh, so, and this is where the film falls down. You know, the plot takes too many twists and turns and eventually all plausibility goes out the window. The film's two and a half hours long, which kind of shows you for an action film kind of how plot heavy this film is. And when, you know, the film basically hinges on its plot, when it doesn't work, you know, the film doesn't work either really. And it kind of tries to gloss over this a bit by constantly giving you action set pieces, action set pieces, sorry. And again, you know, they're, they're fun to watch. They're, they're good action set pieces. But if the characters actually use the brains, they didn't even need to happen in the first place. They could have easily avoided half the conflicts in this film. And when you kind of finally find out who is really who, you know, who's who's kind of stabbing who in the back, it's all it's almost laughable by that by that point. And you know, what should have been a standout scene, kind of like the big reveal, is actually one of the worst scenes in the movie. It's just a really kind of terrible, uh, almost comedy moment in the end. And all the common movie action film mistakes are in here too. And you could possibly even point the finger at this film for for making things like this in the first place. So infinite ammo machine guns, uh, you know, bad guys who couldn't hit a fucking barn door. Uh, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood's just got superhuman super strength, like literally just nothing even phases him at all. Um, and the, there's this one scene which is just absolutely terrible. It's um, Clint Eastwood throughout the film, he uses like a silencer kind of, you know, to go through stealth. He, he's going through the, the Nazis in the castle, um, kind of like you do in the video game Wolfenstein. Um, but at this point... Uh, you know, Clint Eastwood creep, creeps up to this guy and then the radio man hears him and he raises the alarm and it, he, he's got a silencer in his pocket and why, did, you know, it, it, there's just so many moments where you, you think, why didn't he do things differently? And it, there's just no kind of rational explanation for a lot of the kind of situations that come up in this film other than to make a big fight or to make a big explosion or to push along some action set piece. And that's where the film basically falls down it's all about the action the plot is just absolutely terrible as mentioned it's two and a half hours long it's far far too bloated for an action film <clears throat> there's a lot sorry of meaningless subplots characters that you just don't care about kind of gav alluded to to some of them uh, earlier when he's taking the piss as he does um and <laughs> <laughs> that does not sound like me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and to, to sum up, really, it's also extremely formulaic. You can watch uh, the film entirely just for these kind of silly action set pieces and it will leave you kind of wanting more in terms of substance. And these days, even small children, I think, will watch this film and be thinking, why the hell has he, has he just done that? Or why the hell has he made that decision? Because it goes too far out the sense of logic and it just disregards reality as well everybody makes jokes about stormtroopers you know how they can't hit anything but to be fair this film came before that 
and this film's worse for it. Like Clint Eastwood is ridiculously untouchable in this film, like ridiculously, probably in m- more so than any other action film that I've actually seen. Um, but as I say, the biggest fall in this film is it just pushes along for the action. There's absolutely nothing else to it. It's just action heavy. If you like shooting Nazis, which we all do, let's be fair, then, <laughs> you, then you will, you will, you will, uh, you know, smile occasionally at the film. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it's terrible, but for film purposes and for you know a review, I just don't think um, you know that this deserves classic status. Okay, well that seems uh, pretty pretty damning. Mm. Essentially, it is uh, it's bloated. It doesn't really bring anything new to the table. Even back in 1968, um, it's bloated. Um, the action's quite good, but it's bloated. Um, the big reveal is the shittest scene in the movie, and it's bloated. How many times uh, did you like bloated? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so please, please, and like me, defence. Uh, where can we come back on some of these? Uh, some of these points. I'll come back on some of them, but not all. I see what yeah. Joel's saying about the ridiculousness of the film. This yeah. is ridiculous, to be honest with you. One of the things I do want to say about it is that this is considered one of the best war films ever made. I personally, and this is just personally my, my definition of a war movie, don't really think of it as a war film. It's an action adventure. You know, this is more akin to Rambo Part 2 or Commando than it does Saving Private Ryan or Hacksaw Ridge. You know, it, it lacks historical accuracy, which is fine, and it doesn't even have that much realism. Joel said, you know, the never-ending supply of ammunition in the machine gun, bad guys that can't hit anything. You know, it's it's not a realistic war movie. It's not an accurate war movie. It never tried to be, though. And I see what Joel's saying about it. You know, it didn't bring anything new to the table. And plot-wise, I suppose it didn't, really. It was, it was part of an already well-established genre. You know, these things were making good money at the box office. Not realistic war movies, but kind of adventure war movies. Like, this is the best example of them, to be fair. But before this came along, we'd seen The Dirty Dozen had already come out. Uh, Guns of Navarone had already been released. Um, many films written by Alistair McLean, who did the, the screenplay for this and the novel as well, uh, had come along before. So the genre was well established in Hollywood, but this remains one of the best examples of that genre. On the surface, it appears it brought nothing new, but it's not the case. You know, it bridged a gap between these weirdly bloodless World War II actioners. You know, someone gets, you see people get mown down with machine gun. You won't see an ounce, a drop of blood hit the deck at all. You know, they mm-hmm. just they just fall down. Uh, and it bridged the gap between those kind of World War II action films you saw in the early to mid-60s to the more violent films that would have come in the 1970s. I'm talking about, funnily enough, Clint Eastwood movies, you know, the Dirty Harry saga, uh, a lot of Sam Peckinpah's films as well. It kind of bridges the gap. It's the perfect way to connect these films together. So, and, you know, the film does not owe much to historical context, but it, on a technical level... It did make a massive contribution. The cable car scene, which Gab alluded to before, um, was actually one of, not not the first, it wasn't Pioneer, but it was one of the times when green screen was really used to great effect. And although it didn't Pioneer, I'd say it probably did the best job of it up until that point. You know, having Richard Burton fighting off two rival spies on top of a cable car, Obviously, Richard Burton's not going to do that himself. Hmm. And there's only so much you can ask a stuntman to do. So they had to use green screen. And it was a great example of it. And technically, when you look at the way the film was shot and some of the technical aspects they employed, this film actually did create a bit of an influence uh, and a bit of a legacy for itself. Now, the thing is, although it may be bloated, it is two and a half hours long. You will be entertained for every moment of those two and a half hours. It starts off with very much a stealth sort of mission, very espionage-based, very quiet. 
And then it comes to this middle scene by the fireplace, which Joel was saying is the worst scene in it, where this mindless action has suddenly become something with quite an intricate plot detail. Suddenly something quite interesting is unfolding before your eyes and you suddenly have to, where you've just been sat back, kind of smiling to yourself, watching the film roll by, and then you suddenly have to sit up and like, hang on. Oh, okay, now it's all clicking together. Now it's making sense. And that's the beauty of this film. It takes you out of the moment of the stealth bit, and this scene perfectly moves you into what comes next, the second half of the film, which is just mindless action, but it's good. And Joel is right, it is mindless action, but that's what makes the film so good. Its simplicity is its beauty at the end of the day. And, you know, we'll go on to cast and characters a little bit more. I'll talk a little bit more about them. But it's not bloated. I refuse to believe it's bloated because this film does not get boring at any point. This film keeps you entertained throughout. Uh, somebody who didn't use the word bloated once, we've used the word bloated a shit ton. I'm coming back. I'm oh, coming I, back. Uh, I, I, I paraphrased, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I actually got prescribed the medication today to deal with bloating. So <laughs> I can whip them out in a bit if you want, guys. So, bloating yeah. is actually a, a terrible disease for fish. Yeah, it kills him <laughs> almost instantly. <laughs> I feel left out because I can't I interrupt the argument. Talk about bloating, but yeah, just <laughs> so yeah, there's certain amounts of Joel's Joel's uh, points that I do agree with. You know, plausibility doesn't exist in this film. This is just fun. Uh, so I would say that a lot of Joel's points, although he's right, they don't really matter. They don't affect your enjoyment of this film. Uh, and you talked about Wolfenstein. I'd say to you now, Wolfenstein would have looked very different if it weren't for Where Eagles Dare. Its influence is still being felt in video games and in films to this day. The references are still going on. Broadsword calling Danny Boy. Gav made reference to it before. That is ingrained in popular culture. So for a film that didn't really have much significance, you might say, in terms of changing the genre or changing the scape of cinema, no, it did not. But its influence is still felt to this very day, and still in films being made. Okie dokie, well, two very, uh, very, well, you know, different arguments, certainly different sides of the, uh, the same coin. Um, so Dave's actually saying that, yeah, it's a it's a hefty meal, but it's not really, you don't feel bloated, it comes the content <laughs> in. <It's>, uh, <laughs> he's saying it's like an absolute feast of plot and action, and it comes in several courses. Yeah. With a, well done, so mate. Gonna, Great analogy. Yeah, 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 well done. Over yeah. This, yeah, yeah. I've even You've made me sound coherent, I yeah. like it. <laughs> So, so Dave's actually saying that the starter is a gentle spy, stealthy yeah. film. Then the juicy main plot twist section, and then uh, fantastic, mindless action, shoot 'em up for dessert. I'm going to ask you, Alex. Yeah, is that the same meal you ate? Um, I, yes, it is. Only some of the oh, it's hard to do the analysis. <laughs> some of the courses I would have they were a bit too long. I'd rather they'd been taken away. <laughs> You know, I want the service to be a bit snappier, yeah, yeah. I suppose. As well. okay. you, you didn't need six bread rolls with your soup. Exactly, <laughs> exactly yeah. that's what I'm saying. It's, they overdid it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's it's quite a long film. I, I agree with a lot of what Dave said there and, and kind of a lot of what Joel said there. This is kind of a silly film, but I don't think it's trying to be anything except a silly film, to be honest. And and I like, you know, Dave's talking about that fire scene. Like, that is just a silly scene. You know, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. You've got all these plot twists or something. But I think if you kind of get the fact that this film isn't trying to be a serious, it definitely isn't a proper look at World War Two and what spies did. It's absolutely not. You know, it's just a fun adventure romp that's using the Second World War as a good way of, you know, to set the story and, you know, context and stuff like that. So it's a silly film, but like its influence is huge. And I think if you if you think of a film about people infiltrating and then, you know, tearing things up and things exploding. 
Where Eagles Dare does jump to mind first, I think. And then um, for you, Gav, I won't bring on the uh, the food anymore because I know that you're uh, struggling with your uh, dietary requirements. <laughs> and um, your meal, your meal, even if it was the same, would have just left you with a, a bad, a bad <laughs> stomach. So um... Listen, I'm bloated twenty four seven, mate. You know, like just, uh, just uh, you can keep up the analogy just as long as it's low fodmap. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm going to go with it. Are, are the, the all? Joel says that all of the common action movie tropes are in this. Even and it didn't bring much new to the to the table, even though. But even back in 1968, I'm going to say that the so these things that then yeah they're not there. Nobody can shoot straight. Um, everyone's got super superhuman strength and stuff. Do they take away from it, or you know, is it really as ridiculous as it sounds? Um, a bit of both, to be honest. It is like fairly ridiculous. My and I agree with what Alex was saying. In that, is a bit too long. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought it was going to be like done and done in like one hour thirty, but it's more like nearly three hours, like two forty maybe. And uh, I think that I thought it was going to be like an action romp that you can just switch your brain off to. And then there was that bit in the middle, like the twist and all these kind of like, you know, yeah. double turns and triple turns and whatever it was. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? You know, like, because <laughs> I, I was doing a little bit of work for the podcast. And I was like, hang on, I, I'm going to have to re- rewind it a little bit. That's probably why it was so long. <laughs> I had to rewatch some of it. Watch it twice. So it's, 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 almost... it's when Richard Burton has literally accused every single person. <laughs> 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 like, being an Nazi double agent. It's like, at some point, it's just like, should we stop listening to it? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. So it was like kind of how. Have, trying to have its cake and eating it in that it was that that second half was just ridiculous the amount of explosions and whatnot but then it was also trying to be a thinking man's sort of ha- a, a, a blockbuster film so it was having all this ridiculous over-the-top violence but also having these like plot twists that i don't think maybe worked as well totally it was a bit off for me but it was enjoyable you know what i mean that's what you can say it was ridiculous some bits in it were really naff there was far too many twists and turns for the film that should have been, but it was it was a good watch. Okay, well, that's a, that's a good thought on the first argument. And Dave, do you want to go for uh, argument number two, please? Second argument, yeah, but I mean, just, just to mention a little bit about that middle fireplace scene. It is tricky to follow if you've, if you're on your phone, if you're doing some work for the podcast, bear in mind when this came out, this would only ever be shown in the cinema. All right, yeah. mate. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> looking right just saying, at you. I'm just saying. You've know. you got to focus you're on gonna it. You're going to watch listen. the film. If just you fucking watch the film. Right. <laughs> you got to pay attention. Back in these days, people didn't have phones. They, didn't, they were watching it in the cinema. Not many of them had home media. Everyone's attention was on the screen, and in which case they could follow that scene quite easily. So essentially, if Gav had listened to Komodo uh, Mayo and was mm-hmm. following the uh, the cinematic code, he'd exactly. be all right. Yeah. Exactly. Usually, no I do follow the cinematic code, but I've had a very busy weekend doing all this work for the podcast that none of you have helped me out with. Thanks a lot, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but, uh, but back then, Dave, you you know, people could have been writing telegrams, playing, playing with sticks and wheels and stuff, like playing that. with their abacus, <laughs> fighting off TB and. <laughs> So yeah, my point, the second point that I want to talk about is the casting characters. Now this shouldn't have worked. I'll be quite blunt about it. This shouldn't have worked. You've got Richard Burton, who is a legendary stage actor, took on very serious roles, a lot of sword and sandals epics in, in Hollywood. Um, and he was sorely lacking another blockbuster. As it turns out, this was to be his last like major blockbuster movie, the last box office gold that he would do. But he asked for this role. And this was actually, the film actually more or less came into being 
because of his interest. His stepsons, Elizabeth Taylor's children, said to him, why do you always do boring sword and sandals epics? Why do you always get killed at the end of them? Why don't you just do an action film? Like I say, the genre was becoming established. It was becoming big. And the kids wanted to see the stepdad in an action film. And he said, you know, so he approached the producer, who in turn approached Alistair MacLean, and they got this off and up and running. Alistair MacLean's books had pretty much all been adapted at that point. So this is one that came out the year before in 1967. And so Alistair MacLean went away, did the screenplay, got it back to them within a, a month or a month or two or somewhere in between. And so that's why Richard Burton got the role. It doesn't seem like it would fit, but he did a brilliant job. You know, he took to this really well, you know, an action role for a Shakespearean actor was, was pretty incredible. And he got on quite well with Clint Eastwood, who was cast um, as Schaefer. The more, the, the, being the younger man, most of the action scenes were left to him for good reason. And Clint Eastwood actually had more dialogue, but he didn't understand it. So he actually said, can, can I have less dialogue and just do more action instead? And the director was like, actually, that works. So Clint Eastwood's role is pretty much the strong silent type. He doesn't say a great deal throughout the film, but he's the linchpin of every action scene, every shoot up He is there. As someone pointed out, Clint Eastwood kills more people in this film than he did in, I think, his next two. <laughs> <laughs> Body count-wise, it matches the next two of, of his on that he, list. He but. squints a lot, doesn't he? It, that's yeah. Clint, though. You know. yeah. Have you ever seen Clint Wide-Eyed? No, never. No, <laughs> and you never will. <laughs> so yeah, unusual casting, but it really does work. You know, the uh, the chemistry between the two of them really gelled. You know, they got on quite well on set. I think you know they weren't firm friends, but they got on quite amicably. Uh, the supporting cast, you know, it's got it's got some good old school British actors in there. Michael Horden, who plays Vice Admiral Roland, he sent them on this mission, this crazy jumbled mission, as people keep saying. Uh, you got Patrick Weimark as Colonel Turner, a guy I've never seen anything since. He actually passed away not long after the film came out. But uh, what a performance he gave. You know, he was great. You know, the, the end reveal, just when you think you've had enough plot twists, Gav, the, the, oh, end, know, the yeah. end one is a, good, a doozy. Is really? Another one? <laughs> it's, it's, sorry, it's so British the way he goes out as well, isn't it? Well, I'll be off then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jumps out the plane. It is. It's like, uh, you're, you're letting me kill myself. Thank you. <laughs> That's one thing I didn't understand. Where did Richard Burton, while, you know, this entire time while he was uh, pissing about uh, up the snowy mountain, yeah. where, how did he manage to take the firing pin out of is his pistol he didn't Admiral Rolland did he oh. tells him that <laughs> shouldn't have been on your phone <laughs> <laughs> too, too he says Admiral Rolland walked you to the plane himself and he made sure the firing pin was removed from your machine gun I'll let him off I'll let him off <laughs> I, know, I know the film back to front there are plot holes but they, they don't matter <laughs> he's not telling us <laughs> uh, all the great additions to the cast uh, you've got uh, Robert Beatty who plays uh, Cartwright Jones or is it George Carnaby we don't know uh, Anton Differing there's an actor I'd forgotten about apart from Four Eagles there of course he plays uh, Colonel Kramer, who's in charge of the Schloss Adler, the German officer. And yeah, great performance from him. Anton Differing's one of those actors. He was German, but he worked in Britain mostly. He didn't really do much German language stuff. Fantastic actor. It was just great to see him back again and up to his best, you know, with a presence that just exudes through the screen. Darren Nesbitt. Now, there's, uh, ask, ask your parents about Darren Nesbitt. He's, he's been on TV a lot in the, the 1970s. Do, 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 do he's clear, Major Von Dave Harpen. is our age. <laughs> <laughs> But I watched films like this when I was a kid. Darren Nesbitt, apparently huge on British TV like in the 1970s. He was quite a big actor, and uh, this was him right at the start of his career. He plays Von Harpen, who is the SS colonel, who's probably the worst villain of the piece. You know, a lot of the German officers they encounter aren't that bad. They're just, they're just you know, uh, regular soldiers. You know, like General uh, Rosemeyer, Colonel Kramer, 
they seem like reasonable enough guys. Von Harpen is the true villain of the piece. You know, he's a little too astute and there's something really seedy about him, especially his interactions with Mary, played by Mary Yeur. Um, her role could have been better, to be fair. I'm going to nip that one in the bud right now. But I thought she did a solid job with what little she was given to work with. Um, I think Ingrid Pitt was a good addition to the cast. Of her character's not pointless. She, you know, Without her, the whole thing would have crumbled. She needed to get Mary into the castle, who could in turn get Smith and Schaefer into the castle. There is a reason for her being there. Uh, and so, yeah, essentially you've got a great little cast of fantastic 1960s act- actors, many of whom sadly are forgotten these days. But have a look at this film, you know... Uh, Bring back some memories. Joel? From the 1970s. Joel, Joel, Joel. I haven't got a great deal to say, to be honest, but I can sum up the acting in one word, and that is corny. <laughs> some of Not the, the word I was expecting, but okay. Some of the dialogue is just straight up boring. Um, you know, I think Dave mentioned you will be entertained for the two and a half hours, but you won't. you'll be entertained for bits of the two and a half hours but not the whole thing the main characters they don't really draw you in enough to really care about them i think the only thing that you want to care about is you want to see the nazis lose and that's just kind of because they're nazis they don't really well from my memory like the then they don't perform like any major atrocities in the film other than just being nazis um, <laughs> so, so in in his essence, you would actually agree with Dave that those two guys actually seem quite agreeable. Yeah, pretty much. I've never never ever heard two Nazi officers be considered. <laughs> seem like relatively Agreed. nice guys. Actually, yeah. <laughs> they were good guys. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and the interactions between uh, Clinton and Richard are, are just kind of b- bizarre as well. Um, I think both of them have got a, a strange lack of charisma, and yet a little bit of charisma. It's a, it's a really <laughs> weird kind of combination. You're watching them and you think, like, this is literally the worst dialogue I've, I've seen in a while. But at the same time, they perform terrible dialogue, like, all right. Um, so to sum it up, like I say, it, it's just corny. I think that that just kind of sums this whole kind of, uh, you know, performance of the film up. Well, thank you very much. Short and sweet. Um, Gav? I don't really know what questions to ask based on these two things, <laughs> but can I just have a little bit of input about casting characters off you? What were your general impressions? I'm sort of on the fence with, with both of them, to be fair. Uh, I agree with a lot of the things that Dave was saying, but I also agree with a lot of things that Joel was saying. Ben and Eastwood, I thought, I thought were actually pretty good here. I'm not really that much of a fan of either one of them um, in, in other films, to be fair. As Dave said before, Eastwood... I don't think he was a fan of the script and he asked that most of his lines be given to Richard Burton to deliver instead, which left Eastwood to just do all the, um, you know, violent murdering the piss out of people. And that worked really well. He hardly said anything and he did all the action. Um, then obviously all of his lines were given to Richard Burton. So he did little of the action and he did a lot of the speaking. So he, that was able to use his, you know, theatrical background. Yeah. So he <coughs> seems all right in that as well. So the two of them balanced each other off really well. And I think it worked pretty well if it would have been the other way around i think this would have been a massive massive failure but some of the extras as joel said were pretty ropey to be fair and it annoyed me more than it probably should have that like nobody spoke german at all <laughs> or even bothered to attempt <laughs> a german accent even when there's just germans in a scene talking yeah, to each other, even yeah. when there's like there's, there's one scene where it's two germans talking to each other and one of them sounds like probably the most like english 
well-spoken Queen's English actor I've ever seen on stage. He's like, oh, I don't believe it. <laughs> like, and he's like, oh my, oh my God, he's not even pretending to put on a German accent. Uh, and um, I know, I think we're supposed to assume, because they say at the beginning that they all speak fluent German. We're supposed to just assume that all of this dialogue is happening in German. But, and like every time Richard Byrne did the German accent and he just sounded like a Welsh bloke <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah just to add to that you got to remember the time this film came out you know it was in the late 60s foreign cinema wasn't big they could have subtitled those scenes and maybe tried to get the actors to deliver it in German but it wouldn't have been the blockbuster that it was not many people would have been interested in seeing a film that he's even partially subtitled titled, let alone fully subtitled so I think it was a shrewd move on behalf of the studio and it's just it was the time the film was made yeah one thing that Dave to touch upon that I had a bit of an issue with is like I'm not surprised it's like a complete sausage fest because it's a 1960s war film about a German mountain fortress after all. So you know what I mean. <laughs> but the female characters. What are you implying that? I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but the, the like Dave said that the script was was written in about like six weeks or so. And the female characters just feel really like last minute additions. They're not very well written. Well, I don't think a lot of the characters are well sort of fleshed out, but the female characters specifically, uh, they just seem to be put in there for tools, like especially Mary, who just seems to be in there to get off with Richard Burton. And uh, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think nobody would have had too much of an issue if there weren't any female characters at all, you know, because of, of the synopsis of the plot. I've never heard you say that before. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, like at the time, 1960s, if this film were to come out and it was like the Dirty Dozen, it didn't have any female characters in it, nobody would have gone, oh, hang on, there should be a female character in. What for me is a, is a bigger crime is putting in female characters just for the sake of it and they're really poorly written and they're just there to be like a tool for the, the men to use essentially again though i think that's like like what dave was saying it's a shrewd move almost with the subtitles they know if they get a couple of women in then people are gonna you know what i mean yeah. i think they knew the audience so actually, they were going for a little bit so i think that's what i don't think they again like yeah. gav said none of the characters are particularly well well written yeah so it's really a financial move what they've made here that's I think so. get the figures up uh, the, the the one thing I'd say that I disagreed with Dave on is kind of what he started with saying about Richard Burton and I know that maybe that story is true yeah. but I don't believe it personally I think, <laughs> I think Richard Burton just did this for the money and I think that's clear all the way through it because he seems quite sleepy throughout a lot of his scenes I think his stuntman probably man, drunk <laughs> <laughs> I think his stuntman should have been given f- top billing in this film because <laughs> there are bits where like, the, the rope comes down the wall and it's just like that ain't Richard Burton you know? <laughs> scaling. No, the it is. It is Richard Burton. Oh no, yeah, because he's, he's hoisted. He's attached to a winch. <laughs> yeah. But it is Richard Burton. He was hoisted up. Yeah. Clint Eastwood did it himself. He actually did the climb himself, and Richard Burton was attached to a winch. So that's why Burton shoots up the thing, and Eastwood's lagging behind. <laughs> See, but for me, that's kind of what I like about Where Eagles Dare, because Richard Burton is sleeping. He doesn't seem like he's phoning it in. But I like that. That's kind of what I would go to see because I think that's quite funny. And I think the fact that like he obviously did it for the money and he, he didn't really care yeah. that much about being in I, it. I stand by my adds, story. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But I, I think it adds a little bit to it and you can kind of laugh at this film. But it's okay because it doesn't take itself overly serious, seriously. You know, you can enjoy it and laugh at it at the same time, but... I wouldn't say any of her performances were particularly amazing. I yep. wouldn't say this is the high point of Richard Burton's career. I'm actually surprised that what you said when you said this is his last big box office success because I thought that another World War Two film with Baird in the title was it was another success, The Flying Geese. <laughs> Is that, is that, is the that wild the, geese? Oh, the wild, the wild, the wild geese. geese. No, it, not... it was wasn't successful. Oh wow! Not not enough to be considered like 
blockbuster. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it, I don't think the phone was ringing for him anymore when this <clears> came out. So <throat> I think this was kind of his, I need to pay the bills yeah. film a little bit. It, it wasn't, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard this, I've heard this, this okay. story from men. Now, I wasn't in the room when he spoke to his stepchildren, <laughs> but I've heard this story it in It sounds a few like places. you're old man, enough to be in that room. <laughs> <laughs> a man who knows a man who knows a man told Dave told this Dave. story. Um, anyway. Put it on Wikipedia. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for answering those, guys. Um, who wants to give me a little uh, closing statement? Who wants to go first? Uh, yeah, I can go first. Cheers, man. You have got one minute starting now. I won't need a minute. Um, to say <laughs> <laughs> to say I did not see this coming would be false. <laughs> you, you will see everything coming in this film. There's mindless random action, but some shit sticks no matter how hard you scrape. <laughs> Mountain lairs are the stuff of cartoons, but mountains just aren't funny. They are just hilarious. <laughs> if you like bad fireplace scenes, you'll enjoy this film. My suggestion is go and play Castle Wolfenstein for two and a half hours. Better action, better story, and you'll have a whole better time. <laughs> Thank you very much. I really loved it. Um, Dave, have you, got any, have you got any puns in yours? I have no puns whatsoever in mine. Oh. Excellent, guys. Should we have a quiz? <laughs> Dave, I, I also will not need a minute. I have okay. kept this. I've taken a leaf out of where Eagles stairs. I'm not bloated. Not bloated. Okay, well, you have a minute starting now. Okay, this film is just simply entertainment from start to finish. It is perfect Sunday afternoon, fair, old-school adventure movie. It is completely unrealistic, it is completely inaccurate, but it is thoroughly captivating and memorable. (laughs) In the simplicity lies the beauty, that is all I'm saying. (laughs) Hilarious. (laughs) Hilarious. (laughs) So I genuinely have no idea which side I'm going to go with here. I've got a big list of... um, Everything that made me laugh throughout the arguments, and um, that—that's not how you should <laughs> <laughs> somebody find judging work there, man. Has <laughs> yeah. uh, somebody got a quiz, Gav? I do. Yeah. Um, okay. Right. So the, I've got ten questions here, and they're all about birds in films. In a quiz, I like to call flicking the bird. <laughs> Jesus, that's, that's a, a joke, reference bro. to a previous episode. It's a callback from last episode. Yeah. Yeah. Flipping, Flick, flicking, flicking the bird. <laughs> Anyway, um, so essentially, guys, it's the first person to answer this. So I want you to all come up with individual buzzers right now. Do they have to be bird sounds? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do that one, you prick. That's no, Brucey. That's Joel, what's your bird one? Tweet. Okay, Dave. I'll go with Kickery D. Kickery D. Honestly, <laughs> you're not going to have enough time. It needs to be fast, mate. <laughs> <laughs> pissing about with our noises. <laughs> right, okay, right. <laughs> sounds like an old Scottish nanny. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, so question number one. Everyone get your sound effects ready. What was the name of the big old dumb bird in the movie Up? <laughs> oh, shit. This is, maybe this is too hard. Okay, I'll give you a clue. It is also the name of the lead character in the film Home Alone. Kevin. <laughs> Alex. Kevin. Yes, well done. You didn't use the sound effect, so you I don't get the point. That was John. That was it. All right, you don't get the point. I still don't know what the answer was. I still don't know what the answer was. Okay, number two. Get ready, guys. Who were the vultures in the Jungle Book originally supposed to be voiced by? Kickery Dave. Dave Beatles. Well done. Yes. Okay, number three. Alex, get ready. Uh, what is the name of Harry Potter's beloved pet snowy owl? Sweet. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, 
Number four, Brandon Lee starred as the crow in the Pretty Boss film of the same name. Lee famously died during production of the film, but that didn't stop producers making three more movies. Name any other actor who played the title character. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, or shit. people who start who were supposedly to star in a remake. Um, no, no uh, points here. No idea. Okay, so you could have had Vincent Perez, Eric Mabius, or Edward Fairlong, or. Mm. Mark Wahlberg was supposed to be um, in the remake, but it just didn't happen. Okay, number five. Who voiced the macaw, Iago, in the 1992 Disney animation? Dave? (laughs) Gilbert Gottfried. Well done. (laughs) Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) (laughs) Number six. Sticking with animated birds, what phrase do the seagulls in the Pixar movie Finding Nemo say? Caw-caw. Who the hell was that? It was me. What did you say? Mike. No. Kickery D. Mine. Mine. Mm. No Bruce that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, that makes more sense, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, I got really annoyed then and wondered why. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because you were like one letter out? <laughs> A little, but yeah. Okay, um, number seven. What type of bird is coveted for the duration of the film in Ace Ventura Pet Detective? Sweet. Joel? It is a bat. Oh, no, that's the second one. But Ooh, the bird, the pet detective is a dolphin. No, no, go on. Ooh. Go on, yeah. Is it a, is it a cockatoo? <laughs> no. Caca. Go on. Toucan. No. Dave, Ooh. last chance. I haven't got, I haven't got a close. It was a dolphin in the first one. It's, a, a, in the it's a pure white dove. So oh. the whole film is trying to get this pure white dove to pay for his nah, bills, isn't it? Are you it? sure it's they don't a, want to... That's a sub story. It's a white dolphin. It's a dolphin in the main thing, and no. the dove's just like an extra thing. <laughs> well, exactly. That, that, the question that was wasn't the question, like, wasn't oh, read what? the question again. What a shit question that is. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been robbed of a point. Here it goes. Right, anyway, all the point number eight. <laughs> what type of bird did Uncle Jimmy keep as a pet in It's a Wonderful Life? Cacao. Yeah. Parrot. No. A parakeet. Sweet. No. Fucking hell. A budgie. No. You, you get any sound effect the wrong way around. <laughs> is, it, is it a pure white dove? <laughs> Chickens. No. Okay. A partridge. It's a very famous uh, poem. Cacar, Raven. Well done. Yes, Raven. Mm. I'll see if you don't get this one. I'm not going to ask you to leave the house immediately. <laughs> Number nine. And what was the na- what was the name of the pet falcon kept by the Tenenbaum family in the Royal Tenenbaums? Ooh, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have literally no idea. Oh, Wes okay. Anderson. Right. It was also the name of a really like liquid shit movie starring Johnny Depp in 2015. Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> 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 that was it. Well done, mate. It was Pirates of the Caribbean. Curse of the Black. It was Mordecai. Uh, um, number 10. What cult favorite comic book sci-fi character makes a cameo at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, Kikri Dave. Howard the Duck. Well done, Dave. <laughs> Dave wins that one. And he also wins my respect. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I should. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Well, anyway, thanks for that, Gav. Thanks for uh, everything you've done this week. <laughs> thanks, mate. <laughs> Good work, man. Um, actually, this is quite a difficult one to judge. Um, everybody agrees that it's considered a classic. It's a little dated, but it's, and it's ridiculous. Um, most people seem to think that it doesn't really matter that it's ridiculous. That's kind of what makes it entertaining. Um, even Joel said the same, that, you know, it's um, it's completely unbelievable. Uh, Dave says that's not really an issue at all. So, um, yeah, it's, it sounds like a delightfully big meal, maybe overly long. Um, but I'm a big fan of... Big meals. <laughs> big meals, yeah. <laughs> not necessarily long films, but definitely big meals. 
And I think, I think it sounds like it's silly enough that you could potentially dip in and out of it as long as it's not the abacus you're playing with. Then <laughs> you might you might be able to keep up. I think I'm gonna. I think I think I'm gonna put this one on the hit list, but oh. but only just. Wins a wins a win, eh, Dave? Absolutely, I'm happy with just, that. Just because he's hungry. Essentially, <laughs> <laughs> uh, came late to the podcast and got a mail. <laughs> uh, so, Dave, just before we move on, do, do you have any trivia? Uh, I do have a little trivia, actually. Funnily enough, with uh, Alex's um, film feels about Hellraisers, filming was actually suspended for four days because Richard Burton went missing. <laughs> Turns out he went off and got pissed with Peter O'Toole, Trevor Howard, and I think Richard Harris. Um, every Hellraiser. So, yeah, but yeah, the rest of the Hellraisers went to visit him in Austria. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Radcliffe was there as well. Yeah. <laughs> the result was yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. Funny story. Brando was there. <laughs> <laughs> Albert Finney. Was, no, so, yeah, he, he walked out of Pinewood Studio. I think it was Pinewood they were filming. And, yeah, they went off and got pissed around London for four yeah, days, causing, causing a delay in production. Nice. Well done. Before well done, you do your big game, I do have a question now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is Alistair McLean any sort of, is, is John McLean any sort of throwback to him? Uh, I've no idea. Sounds like a big action rom. No, I think they're spelled differently. They are spelled oh, differently, yeah. But um, I don't think so. But okay. it would be great if they were. Yeah, like McLean, as in like, uh, I want okay. to McLean my bath. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like McLean, as in like, um, like McCain's chips, but with an L. <laughs> Both pronounced the same way, though. You never know. Maybe there is a subtle Maybe. nod in there. Anyway, uh, so honest opinions, Dave. I think we know your honest opinion. Like you have to ask. Uh, Joel, did you hate it as much as you said you did? Uh, kind of like Dave, to be honest. I watched this one as a kid. And I watched it again for this podcast, and it's definitely too long. Um, but, the, but the action is is really fun, um, and it's a classic film. You know, it, it's paraphrased and parodied and all that, and you, you can tell a classic film just from how it goes down in culture. So, yeah, I liked it. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so higher or lower than our previous film on trial, Alita Battle Angel, which scored 7.8 out of 10 on INTB. It's a tricky one, actually. Uh, Maybe um, I'm going to listen to my heart and say higher. Okay. I'm going to say lower. Yeah, my head says lower. I'm going to say higher. Went on the hit list and later went on the shit list. So. <laughs> okay, right. Well, <laughs> actually, <laughs> it is just point 0.1 lower. So 7.7. We've had some really close ones around that area recently. I don't we? trust IMDb anymore. <laughs> I think we should listen to Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> so it's actually not on Metacritic, so I wanted to get the Metacritic. Yeah, meta, meta, <laughs> Metacritic. I've got, I've got an awesome Mega tongue. Cricket. <laughs> me, mega Cricket, Jimmy Cricket. And uh, anyway... Ignore me. So once again, I put a poll up on Twitter over the weekend and asked our friends and followers uh, which list they think where Eagles Day should be placed on. Um, it wasn't as close as previous weeks. It was a whopping 71% thought that where Eagles Day should be placed on the hit list. So Yay. you made the right call there, apparently, Ozzy. Wow. So before we adjourn the case, it's time for a little caption contest. So what I do here is I take a snippet of the film and I put it on Twitter and ask our friends and followers to provide a caption with the funniest one, winning a chocolatey frog-shaped treat. Okay, so this caption is good old Clint creeping up with a knife on an unsuspected German soldier, grabbing him by the mouth from behind and getting ready to turn his neck into a Kool-Aid fountain. Um, (laughs) So number one, either play Misty for me or I cut your throat. (laughs) Uh, Number two, shaving Private Ryan. (laughs) Number three, so you want to see the Snyder cut, huh? (laughs) Um, Number four, Jonathan could recognise the smell of that glove anywhere. Samuel the barber had finally found him again. 
<laughs> Number five. While the British guy is hanging out with the ladies and having dinner with Nazis, the American has to kill everyone. <laughs> Number six. When you tell your friend to watch a show, but you find out they started watching a completely different show. <laughs> uh, number seven. Ever seen my movie, The Deadpool? Yeah. Good, because you're the lead in its sequel. <laughs> Stab. Um, Stab. <laughs> number eight. Uh, so you want to put me on the shit list, huh? Sorry, with all these terrible Clint Eastwood impressions, by the way. And number nine. <laughs> hold still, I almost got it. That's it. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with Shaving Private Ryan. I was going to say I like Shaving Private Ryan. Yeah, Shaving Private Ryan. It's a porno and it's funny. <laughs> Are you saying the porno is funny or the joke is funny? Both. <laughs> right, so congratulations. Uh, Mario Rabbiotti, uh, you have just won yourself a Freddo. Okay, so um, yeah, just before we call it a day, and while we're on the topic of where eagles dare, I just wanted to give a shout out to one of our podcasting friends called Dare Daniel Podcast. How'd you like that for a segue? Uh, I've mentioned them before on this show, uh, but they're a really funny and entertaining movie review show, which um, where they watch essentially the most unwatchable films for your amusement uh, they take recommendations from viewers and i recently recommended that they watch the awful dog shit movie that is heart condition where did they actually do it they did yeah <laughs> bob hoskins plays a racist cop denzel plays a ghost what could go wrong everything actually it must be seen to be believed some of the scenes in that mm, film yeah they, yeah they must be but it is awful anyway they watched it and they reviewed it and it came out last week and it is very very funny so do check out that episode and all of their previous stuff at daredaniel.com or any pub Pod, uh, on any podcasting platform and don't forget to check them out on twitter as well at dare daniel pods so our next film on trial has been picked out of the hat at random during this episode and it is big trouble in little china which was recommended to us by coming off the reels podcast and actually uh dare daniel podcast as well coincidentally uh, look at that for another segue these uh, these are better segues than that segue in which we talked about the inventor the segue dying while he was on a segue <laughs> the segue but segue. Yeah. that was a great segue though. that was also a good segue back into whatever you were talking about before well, oh yeah uh, escape, <laughs> escape from New York uh, what we should do is write in the comments there's a drinking section you have to take a shot every time the word segue is said <laughs> anyway uh, so the roles for Big Trouble in Little China have been picked at random so in the role of defense it is me in the role of prosecution it's yourself Ozzy in the role of character witness is Alex and the judge is going to be Dave and uh, no Joel that week because he's going to be on his honeymoon apparently well that's what you're telling us anyway I think you just need a week off from being insulted don't you <laughs> Anyway, uh, thank you to everybody who has listened to this episode. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell Broadsword to tell Danny Boy. Just spread the warm love that is Films on Trial into as many ears as possible. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Film Trials, where you can recommend films for us to put on trial. Follow our fantastic graphic artist, Winston Sang, at the underscore quirks. And check out our website, filmsontrial.co.uk. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Films on Trial. And also check out our brand spanking new YouTube channel. Give us a subscribe and check out our reviews. So, Where Eagles Stare is a hit. Tune in next week when we'll be in your ears with Big Trouble in Little China. Goodbye, everyone. (laughs) 